Amen. Angeline Schultz, accompanied by Georgia Cornegay. Beautiful job this morning. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We will look at verses 24, or rather 25 and 26. John 4, 25 and 26. They believe that Jesus is the most damaging false prophet to have ever lived. They believe that Jesus was disloyal and that he abandoned the faith in which he was raised. And there are 14 and a half million people worldwide who believe this. I'm talking about the Jewish people, the followers of Judaism. Can 14 and a half million people be wrong? This morning I'll be getting a six-week sermon series entitled Jesus Among Other Beliefs and we're looking at, it, at what other belief systems around the world and in our culture believe about Jesus. And we're looking at why we believe what we believe about Him. In fact, this is the number one spiritual question people have who live around our church survey that we just uh, recently took not long ago, a lot of different questions, um, that, uh, uh, a demographic study that we did. The number one spiritual question is people who live within a 24-minute drive time of our church, what do other people believe about Jesus and why are there so many different beliefs about Christ? So this morning, uh, we're beginning six weeks of looking at what other beliefs say about Him and what we believe and why. I want us to begin with a portion of a conversation Jesus had with a Samaritan woman in Israel at a well one day in John chapter 4. Read with me verse 25. In the middle of the conversation, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus could have replied, yes, he will. We'll wait for him. But he said to her, I who speak to you am he. This morning, we're going to examine what Jews believe about Jesus. And just to begin with, a couple of notes I want to mention as we begin. First of all, Christianity developed within the context of Judaism. Our background is Judaism's background. Our sacred book, the Old Testament, is their sacred book. That cannot be said of Islam. That cannot be said of Buddhism. Christianity did not develop as a, as a sect of Buddhism that cannot be said of Hinduism, it can only be said of Judaism. Christianity completes Judaism. It is the rest of the story. Our roots are in Judaism. Second thought. The term Jew that I will be using today is, is not a derogatory term. It is not a racial slur. It is not an insult. It's not being racist. 
Uh, current Israelis are from the tribe of Judah, and, and they are called Judahites. And so the word Jew is short for the tribe of Judah, or Judahite. And so they're very proud of that term. They call themselves Jews. So today whenever I refer, or anytime I preach, refer to Jews, it's not a racial derogatory term. It is a high-honored term that even they call themselves because of the tribe of Judah. Now, here's a summary of what Jews believe about Jesus. They believe that he was born of Mary. Joseph, not all of them believe that, but Mary They believe whenever Mary had Jesus that she was no virgin. They believe that that Mary and Joseph both have trouble tracing their lineage through David. Now, remember, they don't accept the New Testament. The New Testament does a masterful job in Matthew and Luke both in the genealogies of tracing both Mary and Joseph through David. Now, whenever you read genealogies in the Bible, it may bore you and you may yawn, but it's very important to Jews. And both the genealogies in Matthew and Luke trace Mary and Joseph through David, but most Jews say no. They have trouble with that. They believe that that Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher. They believe he had followers, that he had disciples. They believe that he was very well respected, and they respect him. They believe that he was crucified on a cross, and they believe that his followers claimed that he rose again. So that is a summary, an overview of what the Jewish nation believes about Jesus. Now, in summarizing what Jews believe about Christ, there are primarily three questions to answer. So we're going to look at those three questions this morning. Question number one, letter A on your outline, was Jesus the promised Messiah? That's question number one. Jews answer the question, number one, was Jesus the Messiah God promised all along that he would come? So if you go all the way back in the Old Testament to when God established Israel as a people, God promised His people that one day the ultimate deliverer would come. He would come to deliver them as a nation. And that deliverer would be called Messiah, Meshiach. And He would deliver the people. Now, in the history of Israel, they've had a lot of messiahs to come, small case M, messiah. Uh, and they believe, they, they call kings messiahs, they call prophets messiahs. Anybody who showed up as a spiritual leader, many times they call them messiahs, small M. But one day they believe God would send the ultimate capital M, messiah, to the nation of Israel. And that he would deliver them. Deliver them from what? Well, oppression. They had been oppressed through their whole history. I mean, all the way back to Egypt. And Moses was the deliverer. And and nation after nation after empire after kingdom has has kept Israel under under their thumb. 
And they're looking for that day that they can be free and all the kingdoms thrown off and they will rule. So they believed Messiah, capital M, would come as a military leader to lead them to throw off all the rules and reigns of kingdoms. And he's coming. He would be the Christ. Now the word Christ means anointed one. And the word Messiah means anointed one. Actually, it comes from the Hebrew word to smear. Whenever a king would be ordained, uh, they would, or, or uh, uh, anointed in some way, they would anoint him with oil and they would smear. He, like he would be a, a Messiah. They would be hoping. It means to smear. It means anointed one. So whenever we say Jesus Christ, that means we are affirming Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. So the name Jesus Christ is Jesus the Messiah. So Jews will not say Jesus Christ because he's not accepted as Messiah. Now, the Old Testament predicts the Messiah will come. The New Testament reveals the Messiah, Jesus. So Jews today accept the Old Testament but reject the New Testament. They believe the Messiah is predicted they believed Jesus did not reveal himself as Messiah. So they accept the old, but they reject the new. Now, what are the Jews looking for in the Messiah? If he's going to come, and if they don't believe it's Jesus, what are they looking for? Well, here are some, here are some qualifications they're looking for. He's going to be Jewish. Isaiah 9, 6. He will be born in Bethlehem. He will be a prophet like Moses. He will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, who is over uh, Salem, or which is Jerusalem, uh, or earlier times of Jerusalem. He will be a king. He will be the son of David. And he will suffer, but later enter into glory. Now, you and I, as believers, we look at this and we say, this is Christ, this is Jesus. So, how in the world did they not recognize him? Right? That's a fair question. I mean, if, if this is what they're looking for in the Messiah, why did they not recognize Jesus when he came? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, the Bible predicted that a spiritual blindness upon Israel would come as judgment for a lack of faith. That was predicted. In Isaiah 6, whenever Isaiah became a prophet, remember the story? God had this vision. He saw this vision, and he said, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And he said, here am I, send me. And the very next word after Isaiah said, here I am, send me, God said, because of a lack of faith, Isaiah, you're going to preach, but they're going to be blind to the truth. I'm blinding them. They can't see. So when Jesus came along later in Matthew 13, he was giving the parable of the soils and the sower, the soils, and, and he talked about a blindness that has come up on the nation of Israel where they cannot see the Messiah. And he said in Matthew 13, he quoted Isaiah 6, 9. So one reason that they can't see is a spiritual blindness because of a lack of faith has come upon them. 
But here's the second reason they didn't see him. They were looking for a political and a cultural Messiah, not a Savior from sin. They had been controlled by nations for years. They wanted a political Messiah. And whenever he was a spiritual Messiah, they missed him. Now, here's what the Jews today believe about the coming of the Messiah and why they reject Jesus. If you were taught today to an Orthodox Jew, they would tell you the reason I reject Jesus as a Messiah for these four reasons. Number one, whenever Messiah comes, it will be whenever the Jews return to their homeland and all of them haven't come back yet. Now, they're coming. We saw this past week, even for the first time from Ethiopia, they're coming back to their homeland. But not all of them have come back. So they will say the Messiah will come whenever all the Jews return to their homeland. Secondly, whenever the temple is rebuilt. Right now, there is a Dome of the Rock, a mosque on top of the, 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 the Temple Mount. But whenever he, they, we rebuild the temple, then the Messiah will come. Number three, there will be an age of peace. And there has not been an age of peace. And number four, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And that's not the case right now. So the Messiah hasn't come. Now, you and I look at those four and we go, that's the second coming. Right? Jews return to their homeland, temples rebuilt, age of peace, knowledge of the Lord fills the land. That's the second coming. They say, no, 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 that's the first coming. So Jesus could not be the Messiah, Jews will say, because he failed at all four of those and he was killed before he accomplished his task. So he couldn't be Messiah. But that's his second coming. Jesus, in the flesh, talking to the woman at the well, she said, Messiah's coming, and he said, the one you're talking to, ma'am, is he. Second question. Second question the Jews are trying to answer about Messiah, about Jesus. Number two, was Jesus God in the flesh? Letter B on your outline. Was Jesus God in the flesh? Now, Jews believe that God would never become a human being, ever. I mean, when Messiah comes in the Jewish mind, he's not going to be God in the flesh. Because God, Yahweh, would never condescend to be a human. That even when the Messiah does come, he's not going to be God. He's going to be sent from God. But he's not God. Because Jews say they forbid the worship of any person as God they say that's idolatry. And Jews, on all of their symbols, will never put the image of a human face. We saw a ton of them this past week, the past couple of weeks, or the 10 days we were there. We saw a ton of symbols. And our tour guide would always point out, now notice there's never a human image of a face. They, they have fruits, they have animals, they have symbols, but never the image of a human, because that would be idolatry. Humans do not worship other humans. 
So Jesus, they say, could not be God in the flesh. That would be heresy. That would be blasphemy. That's what got him killed. Jewish rabbis teach, quote, God has no body or the semblance of a body, or he ever will. So, that's why Jews do not believe Jesus is God in the flesh. So, why do we believe he is? Why do we believe that he is God? A couple reasons. Number one, the I am statements of Jesus. There's seven of them in the Gospel of John. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, I was reading it just yesterday, back to the Old Testament, and Moses is going in, in, in Exodus to deliver to, to Pharaoh the, God's message. And Moses asks a great question. When I get there, who do I say sent me? I just can't wander into the king of Egypt and tell him, I'm here to talk to you. Who do I say sent me? And God said, tell them that I am sent you because my name is I am that I am. So all through the Old Testament, God's name is I am, his personal name. So Jesus comes along and he says, my name is I am. Are you claiming to be God? Yeah. In the Gospel of John, there are seven What's the number of perfection in the, in, the, in the Bible? Seven. Coincidence is seven of them? No. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Seven times. Well, anybody can say anything. You need to prove it with actions. Right? So if you can back up with actions your words... Then we believe you. So Jesus backed it up with words. Seven times in the Gospel of John, there were miracles that backed up his I am statements. Seven of them. He turned the water into wine. He healed the official's son. He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed a man born blind. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. Folks, all seven of these miracles were highly symbolic. And every Jew would know all seven of them were signs of God's activity. They would get it. Seven statements of I am, seven distinctively Jewish symbolic actions. Now, Jesus only performed two miracles in Jerusalem. That's all. Both of them at pools. Both of them at cleansing pools. Why? 
Because when he got to Jerusalem, his miracles were different. They were, he, they were symbolic of I'm healing your thought process. I'm healing your beliefs. I'm healing your religion, your rituals. So Jesus affirmed he was God in the flesh with his words and his actions. Third question. Was Jesus' sacrificial death necessary? Jews try to answer three questions. The third one, was Jesus' death necessary? Do we even need a sacrifice? Jews say no. We don't need our sins atoned for. We don't need a sacrifice. Jews do not believe that humans are born into a state of sin. I don't believe that. So why do I need a sacrifice? Jews believe that if you want your sins forgiven, it's very simple. Here's what you do. You go to God in prayer, you repent, and you ask Him to forgive you. You don't need Jesus. You just go to God and and repent and ask Him to forgive you, and your sins are forgiven. That's all you have. You don't need a sacrifice. You don't need Christ, they say. Just ask God to forgive you. But here's my question. Upon what authority do you approach God to ask you to forgive you? You have no right there. I have no right there. He's holy. He's majestic. He's sinless. I'm sinful. I'm human. I'm finite. I, I have no right to just wander into his presence and say, hey, I repent. Why don't you forgive me? I have no right to do that. I have to go in the name of someone else who is perfect, who's a mediator. I, I, I need someone to take me into that presence. I don't just show up. Who am I? So I, upon, upon what authority do you just ask God to forgive you? You need a sinless person who took your place. Who is your avenue? Who is your advocate? That's why we need Christ. Folks, there are people all over the world trying to approach God without Jesus. You can't. There are people all over the world trying to have their sins forgiven without Christ. You can't. There are people all over the world trying to get to heaven without Jesus. You can't. There are people in this room trying to get to heaven without Jesus. You can't. You need a mediator. Because you have no right to be there on your own. Listen to what John the Baptist said about Jesus at his baptism. John 1.29. He said, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that sounds like a sacrifice, doesn't it? Think about this. 
The Jewish animal sacrifices in the Old Testament merely provided outward cleansing from sin. We need more than that. We need inward cleansing, not outward. Look at Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. Look at these two verses. The blood of bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so they may serve the living God? What, what the writer of Hebrews was saying was, Jews, you're covered outwardly by animal sacrifices. You're covered inwardly by the sacrifice of Jesus. Yes, we need a sacrifice, and Jesus' sacrificial death was necessary. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Folks, I love the word remission. Isn't that remission a great word? You have cancer, you want to hear the word remission. Our, our sins are remitted with the blood of Christ. We need His sacrifice. Fourteen and a half million Jews do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, God in the flesh, or provided a necessary sacrifice. He's all three. But every so often, there are devout Jews who study the life of Jesus and decide that He is indeed the Messiah and that He is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me tell you two of them. First of all, Moishe Rosen. Here's his picture raised in an Orthodox Jewish family in an all-Jewish neighborhood of Denver, Colorado, early to mid-1900s. Moishe married his high school sweetheart, Celia Starr, who was an atheist. They'd been married four years. She became pregnant with their first child. And Celia began to wonder about God. She'd never believed in a God, raised in an atheistic family, and now she's having a baby, begins to wonder about God. And of all the things that really got to her, it was a Christmas carol. They were singing at Christmas time, and one carol in particular, one phrase really got to her. Whenever they were singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And she thought, why did Israel need ransomed? And she began to ask that question. She had a friend of hers who was a, a Christian, shared Jesus with her, gave Celia a tract that explained who Jesus was. And Celia became a Christian. And Moshe was enraged. Strong Orthodox Jew that she would receive Jesus as Messiah. So he went to his Jewish rabbi. He said, how do I counter my wife's turning to Christianity? What are some things I can tell her? And he gave, her, gave him some Hebrew words, and he said, that went right over my head. And then he said, Moshe, after all, a, a virgin can't conceive and have a child. 
And Moishe said, but what about God doing miracles in the Old Testament? And the rabbi said, nah, it doesn't matter. He would never have a virgin conceive and have a child. And Moishe walked away thinking, well, he had done miracles before. He went back home, picked up the track that Celia had read, and he began to mock her as he read it. He read it out loud in a mocking tone, degrading his wife. He said, but as I read it, something stirred me, even as I was mocking. He said, I decided to read the New Testament, never had. And I decided to read the New Testament to prove my wife wrong. And the more I read, the more I became convinced myself. 1953, Moshe Rosen got on his knees and prayed to receive Jesus as Savior as well. He felt like the rest of his life needed to be dedicated to telling his fellow Jews about Jesus. So in 1973, he founded an organization which he ran until 1996, until he died, called Jews for Jesus. Today, Jews for Jesus is the largest organization in the world that attempts to convince the Jewish people that Jesus is Messiah. 200,000 supporters, Jews for Jesus, literally extends around the world because his wife trusted Jesus and then Moshe Rosen did as well. Let me tell you about a second one. Yuval Shemesh. He's our tour guide. We just spent eight days with him. Every time we go to Israel, we always get Yuval as the guide. Raised as a devout Jew in Jerusalem, memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Became a tour guide in Israel at the age of 20, following in his father's footsteps. He guided for 20 years. He's now at the age of 40. And he became convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and he turned his life over to Christ. Today, he's the only believer in his family. His wife is not, his children are not, his father's not. I asked him the last trip, I said, Yuval, what did it for you? You got it for 20 years. Why did you decide to trust Jesus as Messiah? He said, well, it's kind of layers. I, I would listen to you pastors come here and teach at the different sites. And I listened to you. And I, I had the testimony of friends who had already received Jesus and, and they, they were trying to convince me as well. And one day, I was up at Caesarea Philippi. The choir sang about it just a moment ago, the place where Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And one day, I was at Caesarea Philippi, and, and I just got on my knees and said, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. You're Messiah. I gave my life to him. And then he said something interesting. He said, and all the way back to when I was a boy in Judaism... 
memorizing the Torah and going through everything, in the back of my mind, I've always wondered if, if Jesus was the Messiah. I've wondered. I wonder how many Jews really wonder in the back of their minds. And I became convinced. Folks, God is still at work around the world convincing Jews and convincing others. Jesus is the Christ, and you need him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for what you've taught us about Jesus. I pray for those in our congregation, Lord. They may be Jewish, they may not be Jewish, but they're trying to get to heaven, have their sins forgiven, and approach you on their own without Christ. May today be the day they turn over to Jesus their lives. In his name I pray, amen.